You are listening to Sparking Wholeness with Erin Carey, where we talk about all things related to nutrition for mind, body, and soul. Are you ready? Let's do this. Hey, everybody, it's Erin Carey, and welcome back to Sparking Wholeness. I am sitting here talking to Sean Bean. He is the founder of Matrix Health and Wellness. I've been wanting to get him on the show for a while. He's on my list, and we finally have him. So let me share a little bit about him. Many of Sean's colleagues consider him to be one of the most innovative clinicians in practice today. Sean has the unique ability to uncover hidden patterns with complex client cases, unraveling the core findings of functional medicine test results and patient histories, and to employ unique and bio-individualized therapeutic approaches to optimize well-being and minimize adverse reactions. Additionally, Sean is an avid researcher, constantly in pursuit of deeper ways of looking at disease and chronic illness through the lens of biochemistry, genetics, epigenetics, and physiology. So Sean, thank you so much for being on the show. It's a pleasure being here, Erin. I'm excited to have you on. I wanted to start off because I know you're an expert in the area of genetic SNPs, single nucleotide polymorphisms, which many of us, even as I say those words, I'm not quite sure. What does that mean? So can you break down what genetic SNPs are and how they could contribute to mental health issues? Basically, when we were born, we're giving a um, program. And a lot of times these SNPs can be positive or negative. Okay. It's kind of like a virus on a hard drive. So some people may have SNPs that are associated with one function. The other one, it may be a bad function. So it all depends on which way that, that um, switch is flicked because a lot of people say, oh, my, I have a gene expression in this one. I'm like, yeah, but you know, it may actually be a good one mm. where the same gene on a different mechanism could be bad. So genetics are basically looked at as a circuit board. And it's basically looked at the cards that we've been dealt. Mm-hmm. It's how we play those cards through the environment, through lifestyles and other life choices that can influence on which direction they go. Yeah. And this is the most important part is we have been under this false pretension that genes, you know, you're given these genes and, you know, it's the end all be all. That's not true. Okay. Genes are not a death sentence. Okay. You have control over them. And the things that we do to prevent them, as I mentioned before, lifestyles, mindset, and other in- environmental factors, which we'll get into later, have a direct impact on them. Mm. And what happens is, is genetics has blossomed into this amazing field over the past 10 years. Thing is, is that we as clinicians um, have been so drawn to the genetics part that a lot of the practitioners are so focused on the SNPs or those genetics. And they start having a supplement for this gene and that gene and, you know, take this for that. You cannot supplement, you cannot supplement based upon SNPs, okay, mm-hmm. alone. That is the biggest faux pas in epigenetics there is today. 
So if you're going to a practitioner, he tells you have MTHFR. MTHFR is not a diagnosis as people are currently under the impression. It's right. not. Okay? <laughs> and you don't just take Deplin or 5-methylfolate for the MTHFR. The truth being is, is that the MTHFR gene resides in 80% of the human population. Mm-hmm. So 80% of people walking around this earth have the potential for this gene expression. The thing is, is maybe 30 or 40% of the 80% may actually express it in one way or another. Mm-hmm. And remember, there are hundreds of thousands of genes. One gene does not dictate conditions. Yeah. And we have to pull ourselves back and ask ourselves, okay, what are the factors that are causing these genes to express in the first place? Then what we can do is, is we can use the genetics as a roadmap to look how it can influence the biochemical pathways. Like for example, I'm using MTHFR because everybody's pretty familiar with that. It's pretty popular. Yeah. <laughs> pretty popular. Okay. Now, one of the things I do as clinician is, is I don't address methylation directly. I found over a decade ago that methylation often addresses itself. You may support the methylation by using different modalities such as creatine or phosphatidylcholine, which you can get from eggs mm-hmm. or you get creatine from red meat. All right. So in that situation, people come to me with, I have MTHFR. I'm like, okay. So how does this play into your problem? This becomes a problem and this relies to COVID. Mm-hmm. When a person has MTHFR C677, this is kind of, this is related to clotting factors. Now, MTHFR C677 by itself, homozygous or even heterozygous may not be a problem. But one of the factors we have to look at is genes do not work as a standalone. They work in synergy with other genes. So if you have MTHFR and then you have the other clotting factors, factor 10, factor five, laden, then it could be a little problematic. You know, then you might see the fibrinogen levels go up. Then you might see the problems that it can create, okay? For example, women that own birth control pills, if they have a C677 combined with the, the clotting, other clotting factors, they may be at a higher risk for clotting because of the birth control as one of the side mm-hmm. effects. So again, it's just not the MTHFR. It's the MTHFR working in synergy with other genes. So people come to me, I have MTHFR. I'm like, you know, I redirect them and say, okay, what are your current situations? You know, what are the health problems you're dealing with? So forth. And next thing you know, that MTHFR now becomes hypothyroidism. Yeah. Or it becomes a B2 deficiency because those are the factors that affect the conversion pathway. Okay. So if you have a B2 or a riboflavin 5-phosphate dysfunction because of zinc deficiency, B6 deficiency, magnesium deficiency, et cetera, because that is a coenzyme 
of what B2 converts into. So if you have a thyroid problem, B2 does not go to its active form. So therefore, if B2 doesn't go to its active form, then you have a problem, not with MTHFR, but the Foley pathway, which the MTHFR gene expression could come in play, but it's not the icing on the cake, so to speak. Yeah, that is super helpful, actually, because I do think that MTHFR has become kind of the celebrity gene snip in the last maybe five years or so. Um, And I have so many more questions I want to ask you about that. But before I do, I want to take a second and thank our sponsor for today's episode. Today's episode is sponsored by Sleep Number. My sleep number is 40. My average sleep score IQ for the month of January was 78. I'm pretty proud of that. Quality sleep is so much more important than ever as we balance life and health in 2022. It is essential for boosting energy, recovery, and well-being. How do you resolve to achieve quality sleep? I know for me, my habits during the day impact how I sleep at night. My sleep number bed gives me a deep restful sleep and helps me track my sleep to make sure that I am going to bed at the same time and waking up at a, at the sim, at a similar time every morning. I think that's really important. But my daily habits, getting morning sun is so helpful for me to have a good restful night's sleep. Light movement, not skipping meals, eating a nutritious breakfast, setting my mood and energy for the day with the first meal of the day and that impacts my sleep at night as well. Eating food that contributes to good sleep like a banana, maybe some turkey, maybe tart cherry juice at the later part of the day can help prepare my body for good sleep as well. And I really think what is so huge for me and is helpful for a lot of people that I work with is to avoid heavy, greasy, or spicy meals three hours before bedtime. That can really help give people nourishing quality sleep. Research continues to show a strong connection between a healthy diet and improved sleep. And did you know that sleepers who routinely use their sleep number 360 smart bed features get almost 100 hours more proven quality sleep per year? What would you do with all of the energy you would have with 100 more hours of proven quality sleep? I know for me, it helps me to show up and be more present for my family. It also makes me more motivated to eat healthier and exercise, which as I mentioned is healthy for me. Discover special offers now for a limited time at your local Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com slash wholeness. Sleep Number, proven quality sleep is life-changing sleep. Now, Sean, getting back to this conversation about MTHFR being the celebrity gene snip, as I mentioned, I think a lot of people, you know, in the last few years have been like, oh my gosh, I have MTHFR. What should I be doing? Many people have talked about removing folic acid from their diet because of course we know all enriched wheat products have been enriched with synthetic folic acid. And if you have MTHFR, you can't convert folic acid to usable folate. So in in your opinion, is removing all folic acid from the diet, is that a helpful move? Should people do that? That becomes a helpful move when people have what's called FOLR, which is the folic acid receptor. They create folic acid receptor antibodies. And what happens is when you have have synthetic or you have too much 5-methylfolate or you have too much of folic acid, the synthetic form, that actually blocks the 5-methyl from doing its job or the body converting to it. So that's why when people have the, you know, the folic acid um, issue, nine times out of 10, without knowing your genetics, what you're doing is you're just bypassing that, hmm. okay? 
you're taking precautions if you had it, worst case scenario. So if you remove folic acid out of your diet, folic acid, the synthetic, what that does is that reduces the probability of the folate not being able to do its job. Okay. So if somebody does have MTHFR and starts removing folic acid as a precaution and they don't know if they have the other SNP, it, it could be helpful, right? I mean, it could be helpful, but you also have to think in the characteristic of the other of the FLR too. Okay. Which is, or just FLR, you have to remove dairy. Mm, oh, that's, that's good information. Because dairy is going to block that. Okay. Camel milk, camu's milk, you know, goats, that also blocks that. Oh. What happens is, is if you have a high dairy diet and you're taking synthetic folic acid, what's going to happen is, is you're going to be greater expression of a folate deficiency, functional folate deficiency. Interesting. Wow. Because of that. So a lot of times when I work with women that are pregnant, they're on this calcium kick and all this other stuff, <laughs> taking their 5,000 micrograms of you know, folic acid that was recommended. Oh yeah. Reduce neural tube defect. Well, next thing you know, they're not conceiving. So in that situation, you isolate why, because of the fact is, is they are unintentionally blocking the folate. And then the, what's happening is, is these children are being born with a, a deficiency mm-hmm. folate yeah. because of the high dairy, because of the synthetic. And again, it's not everybody. It's now that expression of the FLR comes into play. Okay. So one of the things that I plan on doing is doing preconceptual consulting to combine the genetics, to combine the metabolic pathways together so we can remove these variables of potential causes of autism mm. that are not being looked at. Hmm. And just simple removal of dairy you know, if it's expressing simple removal, dairy, simple removal from the folic acid from synthetic and giving them more greens, because even if they take it, if they've got, if they don't have enough, you know, natural folate going, it's not going to work anyway. Mm, Yeah. So you remove the synthetic, you help with natural folate, and then you bring the flinic acid and the 5-methylfolate on board. Because when you're pregnant, what you have to do is you have to use both forms. One works the neurological side, the other one works the DNA side. So just taking 5-methylfolate is not going to solve the problem. You need both of them together. That's good. Oh, that is so helpful. It's so interesting. And you bring up, okay, so now now I've got lots of questions upon questions. (laughs) Um, And when you brought up the autism thing, and I think this is interesting because, you know, of course, everybody's seen, we have this huge rise in autism in the last 20 years, I would say more so than ever before. Well, enriched that synthetic folic acid was added to and enrich the wheat products. And I think like the mid nineties, right. Do you think that has, those could be, have anything to do with each other? The rise of the glyphosates and the Mm -hmm. genetically modified food back in the late Mm eighties, um, were some of the hypothesis, but when you look at the combination on a scale, on a diagram, you can see the, as you know, also vaccinations too. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. there are data supporting those three factors, but as one of my colleagues mentioned, Sean, 
we have been riddled in mold and all this crap for all this time mm. over the courses of the our development as yeah. a species. Why now? Because you got the environmental factors that are being implanted in from many different areas, the food we eat, the water we drink, mm-hmm. the we think, and are being programmed with in some areas. It's true. Through social media, you know, you can take it for what it is. And, you know, you can, you know, everybody has their own opinion, you know, but, you know, long ago, somebody told me that they referred to the internet as Satan's box <laughs> because of the fact is, is it can be a good thing, but it can also be a form of social media that can be good or negative. It's mm-hmm. how we look at it as a society. You know, and this, you know, with ADHD, my wife is a nurse practitioner and she made a, a, a huge correlation that most of the adults dealing with ADHD were kids that sat in front of TVs. And studies have shown that parents that raise their kids with iPads, with TVs at a certain age are more likely to develop ADHD as a result. Yeah. So we have twins and we rarely let them watch TV because of the development. It's overstimulating for them. Mm -hmm. And then this combined with all the other external factors, you're opening up a whole Pandora's box toward neurological inflammation. Yeah. And disruption in the neurochemistry in the brain. Yeah. I'm so glad you mentioned all those factors. Cause you're right. It's not any, it's not that it's any one thing. Mold's been around for a long time. We've had all sorts of viruses, you know, all throughout history, you know, and everybody of course is blaming one virus for, you know, neurological inflammation right now, but we've always had viruses. We've always had mold and some of these other triggers, we've always had ticks, right. And tick borne illness, but it's, it's the combination of what's going on right now. That's really wreaking havoc. And especially you're right in our kids. And I will say my generation, so I'm not going, you know, I'll disclose my age. I'm 40 and I didn't get a cell phone until my early twenties. Right. And sure. I've always, I've never considered myself. I can focus fine. But since that cell phone gave me all my apps and I could scroll on social media, Satan's box, as you said, you know, I had access to all information all the time. I know it causes nervous system dysfunction in me. I can feel it. I feel that I am all out of whack, not to mention the EMFs, which we could maybe get into that. Are some people more sensitive to EMFs than others? There's um, through my clinical observations and own research, there's a gene called NAT2. NAT2 which is the acetylation pathway. Mm-hmm. When I see the NAT2 gene expression, I'll ask my clients, do you have, do you do, when you go into Best Buy, do you want to get out of there as fast as you can, or does it make you want to buy more? Because the reason is, is that's usually electromagnetic sensitivity. The mm-hmm. other, um, the electromagnetic sensitivity is also linked into the mold gene. Oh, I didn't know that. Because what mold does is mold amplifies the electromagnetic sensitivity mm. because they go through the same pathway, NAT pathway. And this is very common is, is a lot of people that have mold toxicity are linked into a higher thought conscience in regards to spiritual world. Mm. So a lot of times people that have EMF sensitivities 
They may have a, you know, they may be more spiritual or more intuitive, as we call it. I mean, I've seen cases that when I mentioned about paranormal things, when, you know, oh my God, Sean, how, it's like, it just hairs on the back of the head stand up. Mm. Because it was, you know, you get these cases that, you know, my friend had a room downstairs and the girls were complaining of, you know, being groped. Well, believe it or not, when they pulled up the mold, the guy, there was a guy that died down there called oh, Fred, wow. who was a pervert. <laughs> oh my gosh. And I remember sitting in, in my office mentioning that. And the couple looked at each other and hair on the back of the neck stood up. They both got white and they're like, he's talking about Fred. But the point being is, is when they, when he wanted to work one day, his wife ripped open the wall and that's where they found most of the black mold. So what I'm trying to say is, is paranormal activity may be, potentially found in areas of higher mold whether it causes the you know the neurological conditions of hallucinations Hmm. because that's what mold can do because as you you know mold can mold messes with your dopamine receptors you know at first yeah stimulates them then it down regulates them and high dopamine are the same symptoms as low dopamine Hmm. So a schizophrenic could actually be low dopamine and not high dopamine because it's the area of the brain that may have the high levels of dopamine not communicating with the other areas. So when they address schizophrenia, they'll give them a drug to lower it, like Halidol. And they may not work because the problem was never, or they get worse. Mm-hmm. And they, get, they start cranking up the medicine again. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And that's because the fact is, is when you're dealing with the brain, you always want to look at what areas are highlighted up by using uh, a brain spec or a neuroquant to look to trigger. Then you combine that with the genetics, Mm -hmm. you know, because yeah, you could have a urinary output that's low, but in reality, it could be high in one part of the brain and not turning over. Yeah, that's, that's good. Cause you know, and they are, I do feel like a lot more people are doing genetic testing now to determine, you know, what's going on, what medication can be absorbed, utilized best, you know, all of that, but there's so many other factors going on, as you mentioned. And I mean, I, sometimes I, I, if you guys don't follow Sean on social media, I mean, some of the things you post in the tests that you do, I'm like, how do you keep it all straight? And how do you know what person needs what test? Because you do very extensive testing from mold to also you test for things like parasites, correct? Yeah. I use a system called biliary endocrine gut system, which is basically the gut and the liver, gallbladder, the endocrine system, which will be like your thyroid, adrenals, sex hormones, and then the, um, like the GI maps to look. And what I have done is, is I have looked at thousands of these tests and from this information, by doing the one test, you can predict or support what's going to be found on the other test. So you could look at a GI maps test and know that they're going to be, you know, estrogen dominance involved. Mm-hmm. So 
instead of giving hormones or you see that the adrenals are down, you've got a gut issue going on, or you have a thyroid issue. You see you got thyroid issue, this, that, and this. What we do here in this scenario said, who's screaming the loudest, okay? The major thing I see in traditional medicine and functional medicine, the biggest error I see is the sequence of what things are done because you could have low thyroid, but the thyroid could be low because the body is in a starvation mode because what's going on in the GI tract. Mm -hmm. Then the GI tract may be pulling down the adrenal glands. So instead you're gonna go after the thyroid, okay? If you're a thyroid specialist. So you're gonna miss the gut, you're gonna miss the adrenal glands. So by looking at the Dutch test, by looking at the GI maps test, by looking at these things all in one shot, you get to see organic acid test. You get to see the overall clinical picture, but how everything is interconnected how the gut's attached to the brain, how the brain's attached to the endocrine system, how the endocrine system's to the GI tract, how the endocrine system is to the immune system. Because if you don't address the endocrine system, the endocrine system is the driver. Because how many clients have I had been the top doctors? They failed to look at the endocrine system because they don't know it that well. And the fact is, is the endocrine system switches on everything else. But there's a bidirectional pathway, okay? But it's maybe missing key the puzzle to where, wow, you're on thyroid meds, I'm like, yeah, but you also got a small bacteria overgrowth going. You got histamine issues going over here. You got adrenal issues going here. So when you took the thyroid medicine, you probably felt good for two or three weeks until the year crashed your adrenal glands because you didn't have enough cortisol issue. You burned through your cortisol and like, oh my God, you know? So this way you can actually see the therapy they're doing, but you're able to address why it failed. And that's what we tend to, that's what needs to be more done is, is, we need to get off these protocol based and we need to teach doctors how to think and to use different and use not protocols, but philosophies and sciences. When you have a person that's been to 50 different people, we have people that come to 50 different doctors and like, listen, there's something going on in your liver. And because of their liver tests weren't normal, but in the organic acid test showed me that her liver was in distress and her symptoms, you know, that I saw other things going. I'm like, listen, You've got to get an ultrasound done on your liver and a hiatus scan done. The doctor refused because the levels were normal, perfectly normal. But the symptoms were indicative of her body, her liver crying out. Mm -hmm. Finally, I got the doctor to adhere to it. And then all of a sudden, I got the results. I got this frantic email back. She's in stage two cirrhosis of the liver. Because they were looking at the, they were looking at the testing results being in the normal range, but they weren't looking at functionality. I mean, you have to have all allopathic medicine. There's no doubt about it. Mm -hmm. But you've got to be in communication with the allopathic doctor. You know, I'm always twisting arms to get the information I need. That's why I've learned to go outside the system. So where people have a place that they can go or how to work around their state laws so they can get the information they need in order to get the proper care. Whenever I see these people coming with me to these genetic tests, I'm like, okay, that's great. But if we have done the organic acid test, it shows 14 different gene expressions, okay? Do I need to see it on paper? No. And just because you're green doesn't mean go. So if you're comped gene expression or if you're comp green, but if you have magnesium deficiency, 
low thyroid, low adrenals, clostridia. Guess what? That yellow, that green just went to a red on the actual expression. Mm-hmm. Because what I'm doing is, is I'm looking at factors that are affecting that pathway. And the knowing the expressions of the genes alerts me to what factors could be affecting it. And yeah. I think that is where the missing key is, even in, mm-hmm. a, in functional medicine. Well, and it's good because, yeah, you're, you're saying it's not just the, you know, what you show on the gene test and what SNPs you have, it's how they're expressing and what is triggering that expression. What is Correct. the, what is the factor that's coming in there? And again, wreaking havoc in the body, in the brain causing, because, you know, there are many people that are diagnosed with say something like Hashimoto's bipolar, just think of any diagnosis that the name doesn't actually tell you what's really going on underneath until you do some digging and find out, oh, well, we also have this issue of mold. We have the issue of Lyme. We have the issue of the liver function and glutathione, you know, whether it's internal glutathione production or utilization, or, I mean, that's a big factor as well, right? Yeah. Because, you know, a lot of these doctors will give a, you know, they'll give autistic kids glutathione. I'm like, listen, his pathways, you know, his ability to recycle it. Is not working right because on the organic acid test you see high subaric or you see high cysinic you see you know b2 high so guess what he's not going to recycle his glutathione mm-hmm. and the body lowers glutathione and methylation as a compensation mechanism for what's called the cell danger response just when you're just when just when you're getting ready to go into a dangerous situation when your body sees these infections it does the same thing. So it will slow down. It slows methylation down. It lowers vitamin D. It lowers ferritin, okay? As a protective mechanism. That's why I'm a big anti-vitamin D person. Mm, interesting. I'd love to know more about that. Well, I've been teaching about it for 10 years. And the problem is, is vitamin D lowers as a protective mechanism because the one there's when you measure the vitamin D, they measure the 25 OH. They're not measuring the 125. So the ratio should be more like a one-to-one ratio, but we're seeing ratios of like two to three. Okay. That's not right. I mean, it may happen when you're out in the sun, but if you're oral supplementation, it's not going to, you're just going to be matters worse because Mm -hmm. if you get vitamin D, you got to give K, A, and E. The more D you take, the more it lowers E, A, and K. Mm-hmm. And you have to take K2, which is MK7, not MK4. You need to take vitamin E. Vitamin E deficiency mimics a huge amount of vitamins, and they're not looking for it. Mm-hmm. But the more D you take, the more you lower your vitamin E. So when you see 4-hydroxyesterone on a Dutch test and other markers, that's why I, when I have a doctor on board, I look at the vitamin E content. And they have been flabbergasted that a lot of people are deficient in it, or they'll look at the vitamin A, okay? Or you can see the gene expression BCUM1, okay? Which is the vitamin A deficiency. You'll see high beta carotene, but you'll see low vitamin A, serum-wise, as the body can't convert beta carotene to vitamin A. And they could be heterozygous, which means yellow, but if you have hypothyroidism, guess what? That yellow note goes to a red. Then you have people that have problems seeing at nighttime. Now you got people taking loads of zinc. The more mm-hmm. zinc you take, the more vitamin A you drop. Mm-hmm. It all has to be in balance. Yeah. It has to be in balance. That's why I get to people. I'm like, 
you're on 50 milligrams of vitamin, you know, you have 50 milligrams of vitamin, you're getting 50 milligrams of zinc. I said, are you having trouble seeing it at nighttime? They look at me like, how'd you know? I said, you're depleting your vitamin A. Your diet is, <laughs> your, yeah. your diet is, you have very little A in your diet. Okay. You're not eating whole eggs. You're not eating liver. Yeah. And, and vitamin A is stored, but when you, you know, it's stored for five years. But mm. the thing is, is it gets depleted. I mean, there's other theories that vitamin A toxicity, but again, you look to see what the symptom, you look to see the symptomology, you know, somebody's having problems with night, they're taking, you know, zinc, obviously they've definitely got a vitamin A or E deficiency. Mm -hmm. He's also needed for light blindness. So understanding what the biological functions are of each individual nutrient, what biochemical pathways they support and how they're converted to their active form is one of the areas that has been completely overlooked. Mm, I agree. Yeah. You might be taking the wrong B6. You might be taking the wrong B2. You might be taking the wrong methyl. You might be taking the wrong B12. If you have gene SNPs and, and you know, MUT, MMAB, your methyl B12 is not getting converted to adeno, which goes, which is necessary for anemia. Mm. So by you taking methyl B12, not converting into adenosine cobalamin, you're making yourself anemic. So you'll see your MCV rise. So if a person's MCV is over 90 and they're on methyl B12, you cut the methyl B12 in half and add adenosine. Check that level in say six weeks, the methylonic acid, which was 96, now comes down to 89. So by looking at simple blood chemistry, you can see so many different things. You can catch mold, you can catch lime, you can catch just from looking at a $15 test. And this is what I've done with these complex cases is you combine the genetics, you combine the metabolic pathways and how to properly interpret the least amount of data from clinical testing. That does not cost you an arm and a leg. Too many practitioners are doing way too much testing and they're not looking at the bigger picture. If you know you have mold, okay, great. But you have GI problems, well, guess what? Nine times out of 10, you probably got a small bacterial overgrowth. You got, because what happens is the bile flow from the mold causes disruption in the bile flow. It takes it from bile that should be more like an antimicrobial and it turns into an antibiotic. Then it causes spraying of the deconjugation on the wall. It's basically, you need to recycle your bile acids, which should be like fresh laundry detergent. The problem is, is it becomes caustic. Mm. So it actually erodes the lining of the GI tract away from not having a bad bacteria, but rather just the soap is completely caustic. Yeah. So what looks like a small bacteria overgrowth or SIBO or some kind of dysbiosis in the upper bowel, it's just the mold causing problems, but you have to evaluate and rule out. So having the total clinical picture right off the start saves a lot of time and a lot of guessing games. There are a lot of guessing games. <laughs> that is true. Especially when we're talking about people that have been dealing with chronic illnesses that have been torturing them for years and they can't get any answers. They can't get any relief. Like there's, there's, a, there are a lot of people out there suffering and they're not getting better, you know, and playing the guessing game. And so I think that that is helpful to get a picture with the lab work. Yeah. I mean, I have a philosophy test. Don't guess. 
Yeah, <laughs> it's good. And, you know, had a person spend $100,000 on mold specialist in Canada. I said, when was that time you were on vacation? She goes, in Mexico. I said, how'd you feel? It felt amazing. I said, this is what I want you to do. Do you understand the biochemistry of what mold does? She's like, I think so. I said, do you know sunlight increases your melanotate stimulating hormone that actually starts a whole cascade from your adrenals right on down through? I said, I want you to go tannin. I want you to go tannin three days a week. And guess what happens? She came back to me and she goes, Sean, I'm 60% better. Mm, wow. So just simple things. You know, the problem with modern medicine is, is there you're making molehills in the mountains. What we at Matrix do is, is we do the opposite. We make those, we make those mountains in the molehills and take the information that have been from previous practitioners. And we don't like the bad mouth people because everybody has their own cup of tea. And I tell my clients that everybody has their own cup of tea. So you can't blame them. Okay. They, that's, that's where their sticking point is. Now, if they decide to pass the ball, that's a different story. Um, but a lot of, a lot of practitioners will do the dance, you know, they're, they'll, they'll dabble. He, he, it's like, if you're a mold specialist, stay in your, stay in your wheelhouse. Okay. Mm-hmm. Stay in your, as we say, stay in your lane. Yeah. Because there's too many practitioners out there that are meaning good, that have good hearts, but they're actually making things more complicated, mm. you know, yeah. and that's where collaboration comes in and collaborating with the physician and collaborating with the clinicians who are open-minded um, to do what is, you know, to bring those minds together is where medicine needs to go. We need to have those healing, you know, those healing tribes. Mm, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, there's been cases to where I'm like, listen, I've done everything biologically with you. This is, this is in a deep emotional issue and you mm. need to speak um, a lot because when you have that gene expression, BHMT, BHMT with mold, with NAT pathway, is like a recipe for disaster because BHMTs tend to hold on. A lot of the mold um, constitution is holding on and not letting go. And it tends to be people pleaser and they tend to hold on the grudges. So when you see that, you know, that mold consistency, you know that sometimes there may be some emotional release that needs to be done. So that's not my wheelhouse. I'm like, listen, I know a couple of people in your area that do this. I would suggest going out to see them. Or refer them out to like cranial, you know, cranial sac, you know, cranial sacral adjustments. Okay, because we all have our area of expertise. Once it starts to get into that, the mind and trauma, I'm like, eh. yeah, yeah, <laughs> that's you know somebody else's expertise. Okay, mm-hmm. but sometimes you have to do that first, or you need you're doing everything right, but because of the gene expressions or just the constitution of the case your mindset goes into another direction to where, listen, I've gotten you as far as I can. Okay. Now we need to turn, now we need to turn an extra wheel. Yeah. That's, that's so interesting. I'm so glad you brought that up. Just the whole, the emotional physical connection as well, that if you're storing things physically, you're storing things emotionally as well. And I think that that's an important uh, reminder for us that our, our mind and body, they are connected. Our spiritual side is connected to our physical side and it, all of our organs are interconnected as well. And we miss that so often in modern medicine. The interconnection by what you're talking about is the biggest nerve. Mm-hmm. Vagus nerve intervention is one of the most powerful tools there is. And you can just use simple breathing. 
You can just use simple humming. I mean, there are so many modalities that I offer to my clients. They're like, you've got to be kidding me. I know teach them breathing techniques. Like my, you know, I'm seeing a therapist right now for anxiety because of the IBS from the mold causing it's triggering my autism. So instead of sweeping underneath the covers, you know, that impacts relationships and it's something that's out of my wheelhouse. And, you know, I'm not afraid to admit that I understood, I, I knew something was off. I was in denial for it for a long time, but then I finally put the piece of the puzzle together. I'm like, you know, this is what happens, you know, mold triggers your genes. And I have every single Asperger's gene there is. Mm-hmm. And that's what allows me to do, you know, allow to see those hidden patterns super fast. But the flip side is, is it makes you emotionally numb in regards to mm. relationships, or it makes it harder to connect with people in that area that you have an emotional attachment to, because you go into, you know, submit, freeze, you know, collapse. So I'm working on that from my side, because I know that those genes got flipped on and yeah. it was just a matter of time before it happened. You know, now once I get the mold under control, that's colonized in my body, even though I moved out, then you should start to see me go back to where it was. Because from one year to now, I lost over 70 pounds of lean muscle tissue because mm. of the fact of being in a mold area, but also the mold was colonizing in my gut, wow. creating biofilms. So my next step is to do a mycotoxin test, which I looked normal on a year ago, but I'm going to incorporate a biofilm buster. What that's going to do is, is that's going to give me more representation of the true chemical picture that I missed. Yeah. So we're always constantly clinicians learning about new techniques through research. And one of the things I do is, is I pride myself on, you know, let me look that up for you. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> on that. so that's why when clients come to me, you know, they have a lot of lab work, great, but if they don't, if they come into the fresh, you know, and we work on a cost basis too. I'm like, listen, you can't afford all this at one time. It would be nice, but how about we pick these two, these two tests? Mm-hmm. Okay. And let's go with this first. And maybe by using these two tests, it knocks out these three other tests. So we work to get things efficient for our clients at a cost, keeping cost in mind. So that way I do a, um, we do um, cost analysis. So this way there's no surprises. So exactly. And, and people may, you know, like I said, you may come in like, you know what? I know your adrenals are messed up. Okay. I, I have no idea what's going on there, but the gut is a different scenario. I, I don't feel comfortable. I just recommend any probiotic right now. Cause if you have a hydrogen sulfide overgrowth, a hydro, hydrogen sulfide or hydrogen overgrowth or a methane overgrowth, you have to be selective on the targeted probiotic, yeah. prebiotic or postbiotic, you know, butyrate um, based upon that. Not mm-hmm. just, oh God, you got a SIBO. We're going to throw, you know, this, this, and this at it. We're going to kill this. You know, it's like, you've got to prep the soldiers. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Or the like war. Because you don't know who the enemy is. You don't know what weapons they have. You got to do this. You have to do the reconnaissance. Mm-hmm. And the reconnaissance is often haphazardly done. And I feel that this approach by utilizing minimal testing but it's the interpretations that are the key. And that seems to be the biggest problem in functional medicine is the doctors just go by what the lab results tell you. 
And that's when I get an organic acid test and I go into depth about it. And they're just like, I'm like, my doctor never told me that. And but mm-hmm. it's a clinical picture, 100%. Well, this is so helpful. I'm learning so much from you and you're just a wealth of knowledge. Can you um, just share where people can contact you or your website if they wanted to work with you? Um, my website is matrixhealthwell.com. Um, right now we're kind of revamping it because it, you know it's kind of been in dormancy state. So the best way that they can get in contact with me is matrixhealthwell at gmail.com. Okay. Now I've got to ask you my last question that I love to ask people. And that is, you know, the name of this podcast is sparking wholeness. So if you could give one piece of advice to spark someone toward wholeness, what would it be? Basically don't take things for granted. Don't take your health for granted because you never know when it's going to fall out from underneath you. Yeah, that's, it's, I, I know that to be true personally. And I know you speak from personal experience as well. It's always a journey and there's always, we're always learning and we're always our own guinea pigs as well. <laughs> it's worth it. So I appreciate this conversation so much and you taking the time to be on the show. I think it was really informative. It's been a pleasure being here, Aaron. The tiniest spark leads to the biggest blaze. And I hope that today's episode sparks you on a journey to healing and wholeness. Thanks for listening to Sparking Wholeness. For more information on what I do and my coaching programs, or maybe just to reach out and say, hey, find me at sparkingwholeness.com or on Instagram at sparkingwholeness. Have a fabulous week.